As we come to the scripture, let me ask you uh, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, um, we're grateful for your word. We know that uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, our Lord Jesus. He is the living word. We have this word written, which in its own way, because it's breathed out by you, God, that it's alive as well. And so we pray that as we read it and think upon it, that you'll be close to us in a way that reveals that you'll be, uh, through this word, a light and a lamp to us. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Luke and chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, please, I want to read from uh, verse 22. Uh, through verse um, 38. Luke chapter 2, please. This is the word of the Lord. And when the time came for their purification, that there there is um, Mary, really, but Mary and Joseph. When, they, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, the him is Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens, who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There was was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon, I'm sorry, Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts May be revealed. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of uh, Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him. To all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And together we say, the grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord forever. And <clears throat> now, why this particular passage? I finished Judges. Whew. And uh, this one's in the Bible too. And what I'd like to do, if God will help me and you'll allow is in the coming weeks to read through the Gospels and to pick passages that uh, help us to see 
various encounters with Jesus. Um, this is an encounter with Jesus. He's, he's only six or seven weeks old, but still he's uh, being met by these two people, Simeon and Anna. We won't quite get to Anna today. There's not a lot said about her other than a great devotion to the Lord. And even though she was widowed for quite some time, still she never lost hope. She continued to wait for this one to come. But this one, Simeon, it's fascinating as as Mary and Joseph come to the temple, they're just doing what they know to do. They're doing what the law says to do. uh, Mary's just had a baby. And so uh, 40 days after that, she needs to go into the temple uh, for a rite of purification, wherein a woman would offer a lamb as a burnt offering and a bird, either a pigeon or a turtle dove as as uh, as a sin offering. However, if the couple was poor and couldn't afford the lamb, then they could offer two birds, which is what they do, which tells us something about the situation uh, with Mary and Joseph, not being wealthy ones, but being poor ones. I'm sure there's much we could say about that. Uh, But they come and they also come to present Jesus uh, because since the Passover days back in Egypt, the firstborn belonged to the Lord. And the firstborn would have to be redeemed. An interesting concept since Jesus is the redeemer and he's being now presented at the temple. We don't know exactly what they did. They didn't talk about uh, whether they paid the five shekels that was necessary to redeem him. But Jesus came to represent to us. And so he takes upon himself all that would be true as one born under the law. So they'd come up. Uh, no particular expectations, I suspect, of their day other than for this purification and this presentation. Uh, but there's a man there named Simeon. We don't know anything about him other than what we have in this passage. He doesn't appear before this or after. And we only know about him what's mentioned here. We don't know his occupation. Some would say he was a priest, but we don't know that to be true. He does prophesy, but he's not really called a prophet. But uh, here he is. One thing about him, though, that we do know is that he was a righteous man and he was devout. Righteous, meaning that he was right with God and with others, which means he loved God and he loved his neighbor. Devout, which meant he was religious in the good sense of the word, in the sense that he was one who would make sacrifices, would pray, would seek the Lord, would follow after him, would participate in all the feasts and festivals that were there for him, and he would worship, and that would be his life. He was filled, put it like this, that the Holy Spirit had come upon him. Now, that's a very significant thing to be said here, because if you're a reader of the Bible, you know Acts chapter 2 is a big deal concerning the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as the prophet Joel says in all flesh, that is, on believers, if you will. But prior to that time in Old Testament days, which we really are still, that the Holy Spirit would be said to come upon those for particular tasks. And he had a particular task. Because the Holy Spirit had revealed to him, how we don't know, but the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Christ. In other words, he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah. You just wonder how that affected his life. I mean, how would it affect your life if the Holy Spirit would tell you, he won't, by the way, tell you this. But how would it affect your life if, if, if the Holy Spirit came upon you and said, the Lord Jesus is going to return in your lifetime. 
He won't do that, so please don't go there. But just just say he did, right? How would that affect your life? I mean, how would it affect you getting up in the morning when whatever you're facing, right, you could probably breathe a little easier going, well, this isn't going to last long. Whatever it is, right? Or it may give you a great holy boldness then in that sense as well. More so than you may presently have. Whatever it is, but here was the sense of this man. And remember that there hadn't been a major prophetic word for centuries. And you wonder, what did he really expect, this Simeon? What would he expect when he would see the Lord's Christ? Uh, some in his day were expecting sort of a um, political liberation, if you will, from Rome. Uh, that's the sense they had, that this Messiah would come. But, but, but really, that had never worked for them before. I mean, they had been in bondage in Egypt and were liberated politically and otherwise. But it really didn't solve their problems. We read through the book of Judges and realized that just being liberated in that sense didn't solve their problems. So they wanted a king, so they received kings. But we realized that that didn't solve their problem either. That there is a deeper bondage from which they needed to be uh, delivered. And you get the sense that Simeon would be aware of that deeper, deeper Freedom, and this Christ who would come to deliver them. I don't know how well he stood. He understood Genesis three fifteen that one would come from the seed of the woman and crush the head of the serpent. I don't know how much he understood the promise to Abraham that one from your seed will come and bless all the families of the earth, or even from the prophet Isaiah that there would be a light come to the Gentiles. The son would be born and a child would be given and the government would be upon his shoulders. And he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And they have the increase of his government and peace, there would be no end, you see. And he would bring this, this peace, this very one. Or, or that he would be <clears throat> from the stump of Jesse. And they would come and bring this peace, so much peace, uh, that, uh, <clears throat> that, the, that the wolf and the Lamb would lay down together, and the child would play over the cobra's den. That kind of, kind of peace, poetically, figuratively laid out like that for us. Or even that this one who would, who would come would be gentle. He wouldn't cry out in the streets, but a bruised reed he wouldn't break, and a burning flax he wouldn't snuff out. That is to say, he would come at people's very points of vulnerability, at our deepest need, and, and he wouldn't extinguish us. He wouldn't break us, but, but rather he'd bring life right there and strengthen us to really live this one who was to come. And he would be wise. He'd have the very wisdom of God, and he'd be powerful, and he'd have the very power of, of God. And he would sit on the throne of David, and he would rule, if you will. He would be the one who would rule and reign over life and over death. And this is the very one, however, who would come and bear the iniquities of us all. And from him would come ushered a new heavens and a new earth. I don't know. I get the sense that that's what Simeon was hoping for. He was seeing beyond this political liberation and seeing to this deep spiritual liberation. And he realized that, that this is the one that he was promised to see this the Lord's Christ, Christ, Messiah. Christ is the 
Greek for Old Testament Hebrew Messiah, meaning the anointed one, the one who would come to be the prophet, the truth, to be the priest, to be the way, and to be the king to bring life. Yeah, that's the one. You get this sense that, that Simeon was really waiting for. Notice how we have it here. It says that um, uh, uh, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, that is. He was waiting, waiting for the comfort, for the peace that would come to his people uh, through this, this one. Now, the question for us this morning is when Simeon saw Jesus, what did he see? Now, remember, at this point in time, Jesus is just a little baby, just 40 days old, approximately, right there. Uh, six, what, six, seven weeks old. Just a little baby, a real little baby. Didn't have a halo, just a little baby in Mary's arms. She might have had bags under her eyes because she might have been up four times that night trying to wake Joseph. Uh, to help her in any way that he possibly could, which isn't very much, but at least be awake with her. And so there they were, uh, coming up for this time of purification and this this uh, presentation. It's fascinating that he he sees this baby and he takes him up in his arms. I don't know exactly what the times were like then, but I don't know how common it would be to walk into the temple and have some man you've never met take your baby. Maybe it was more common than we think. Uh, but he blessed God. And, and I don't know, if you, if you look in your scripture, in your page in the Bible, this part from verse 29 to 32 is indented. looks a little different. And it looks a little different because it's poetic in a sense. And thus, this is often referred to as Simeon's song. So if you can kind of put that in your mind as well, that perhaps he's singing this. I don't know if he'd rehearsed it. I don't know if it was just a gift of the Spirit at the moment or what it was. But, but, but you get, just, it, it, please hear the, the sweetness of this. And he takes this baby up in his arms and he blesses God. That is to say, he gives thanks to God. I mean, can you only imagine, here's this man who's had in his heart for how long we don't know. He seems to be older because he's ready to die, but we don't know that either. But he's had this in his heart for a long time. It's been his longing, it's been his desire to see this. It's been the longing desire of his people to see this. And he's, he's holding this now, this baby, and he sees the fulfillment of everything he's been waiting for. And this baby. And he says, sings perhaps, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And I think there's a little bit more there than just my mission is accomplished. I was going to hang around till he came. But there's a sense of not only can I die, but I can die in peace. Not only can I die in peace, but I can die in confidence because I, I see the, the consolation. I see comfort, I see peace, I see rest, I see salvation, I see all of that in this baby. And so, so now I can not only just die, because I'm done, because you said I did, but I can die in peace. There's something about looking at this baby that says it's all right. 
And he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. That is, I, I see the wholeness, the freedom. You see, salvation is in a very real sense freedom. Freedom from the bondage to sin. Freedom from the penalty of sin. Freedom from its power, you see. Freedom from all of that. I've been saved now. I've been released from that. Hence, guilt and your wrath. And so, Simeon is able to really, to really sing. And notice what he sees in, in this little baby. He sees this salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all the peoples. In other words, now everybody's going to see it. This isn't just, well, who was it, Paul, when he was, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was um, making defense in front of uh, King Agrippa. And uh, he was talking about the gospel and talking about Jesus. And he said, now, remember, King Agrippa, this wasn't done in a corner. In other words, this wasn't done in the dark. This wasn't done under a bushel. Everybody saw this. This was in the presence of all the people. This is, this is, everybody's going to see this. That you've prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. In other words, that this message, this baby has come for all kinds of people everywhere. And that would have been a, a little bit of a, not a new word, because if you read through the Old Testament with eyes to see, you realize that Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations, that the nations were supposed to see the glory of God through Israel. They didn't do a very good job of that. But now here's one who would come and be the perfect Israelite and the perfect Israel, and he would be a light not only in Israel, but a light, a light to the nations, you see. And that's how Jesus understood himself. Often he would come to Gentiles and bless them. And that was so astounding to the Jews that were around him. How can this be? I thought he was just for us. And then, of course, when Jesus leaves and he gives this, what we call the Great Commission, he says, now go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every nation, making disciples of all people. Right? So it's to really go. This is a big deal. To go to all the, all the nations. And then when Jesus meets with his disciples after he's resurrected and before he ascends, he, he says, now wait in Jerusalem. Uh, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and give you power. Power to be my witnesses. Where? Everywhere. In fact, you remember the great scene in the life of the Apostle Peter. In Acts chapter 10. Peter's been praying, now he gets hungry, they're making him food, he's waiting on the food, and in his hunger, he sees this vision of this um, cloth coming down out of heaven, the four corners of the earth, interestingly, it says. And on it is all kinds of animals that he's supposed to kill and eat. But he knows, being a good Jew, that there's certain laws about what you're supposed to eat and what you're not supposed to eat. And everything on this uh, cover is stuff he's not supposed to eat. And so he says, I can't eat that. And the Lord says, no, yes, you can. It just so happened at the same time, a Gentile, the household of Cornelius, um, they've been instructed by an angel that someone's going to come to them and talk to them uh, about uh, Jesus. And so... Peter finally gets it. Oh, this is to go everywhere. Now, when the Apostle Paul is um, commissioned by the Lord, literally, on that road to Damascus, he realizes, too, uh, that this is not just for 
uh, Israel, but for all people. His commission is this, Acts 26, verse 18. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. He's sending him, he says, to the Gentiles. And you're to preach that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And Paul lived that out on various missionary journeys. He went not only to Jews, but also and primarily ultimately uh, to Gentiles. At one point he was in a synagogue and he had been preaching for one week and he came back to the next and they were filled with jealousy. Acts chapter 13 verse 45 tells us. And they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, but since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So Simeon gets it. This is a big deal. This is to go everywhere. This can't just stay here. This little baby, who he is, what he does, that's to go everywhere. And it's to be the, to the glory of Israel. It is to their glory because, because see the great role that Israel played in all of this. This very one comes from the seed, not only of David, but of Abraham. And, and so this is Israel's glory. Jesus is Israel's glory as well as the very glory of God. And then verse 33, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. We're past Advent, but I never get past Advent. I think so much about what it must have been like. For Mary and Joseph, as they were visited by angels and told about what was to come, uh, For Joseph, that his betrothed was going to have a baby and he wasn't the father. But he was to name this child Jesus for he would save his people from their sins. Deliver them from the bondage of sin. And to Mary that she was given birth and he would be called the son of the most high. And that having never known a man still, she was going to have a baby. That's enough to marvel at. And now coming here and they they hear this again. I don't know if they needed a re-up, you know, because they'd been taking care of this little baby for a number of weeks and they're wondering, how can this be? I doubt that. This is added to. Added to what they already knew and they marveled about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, fascinating not to Joseph. We often wonder what happened to Joseph. We really don't know. The scripture never tells us. He doesn't show up much after this. He gets named from time to time when Jesus is speaking because they realize that he's the carpenter's son. But he doesn't show up. We don't know. Most think he probably died during that time somehow in Jesus' life because if not, surely he, had been, he would have been at these places. Surely he had been with Mary at the cross. Surely Jesus wouldn't have had to look down from the cross and speak to John and say, take care of my mom. He would have looked at his dad and said, take care of mom. But, so we don't know, but, but turns to Mary. Uh, maybe Joseph 
This wouldn't apply. And it says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that's opposed. And then to Mary particularly, I suppose. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. I know what she was thinking then. I know what we're thinking now. Surely it would. But this child would bring division. Notice, this child is appointed, destined for, this God ordained to happen through him. This child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. We see that. These encounters with Jesus reveal what's in our hearts. Encounters with Jesus then and always reveal something. They reveal what's in our hearts. They reveal particularly what's in our hearts about ourselves, how we understand ourselves. And they reveal what's in our hearts about how we understand God. You see, the destiny of every person is revealed by encounters with Jesus. That's true for everyone. Imagine this baby holding this baby, looking like any other baby at that moment in time. And yet, Simeon, able to see by the Holy Spirit, announcing to us, this isn't Simeon's word, it's God's word to us. And we know it. And he says, listen, encounters with this baby. No. Encounters with this Jesus will reveal hearts. And when hearts are revealed, For some, it will be to their rising, and others, it will be to their falling. It all depends upon how we respond to him. That reveals the heart. You want to understand how somebody, you or anyone else, understands God? Talk to them about Jesus. He's the one who's the revealer of hearts, how we respond uh, to him. And this is coming all the way. Established in the Old Covenant as well. Turn if you have a Bible. If you don't, whatever you have, use it to turn to Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 11. Isaiah 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 11. Passage. Isaiah is uh, getting a word from the Lord, obviously. He's the prophet. And uh, it begins by saying, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me, not to walk in the way of his people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. So what's happening is there's all kinds of, 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 of rumors going around about Assyria, the great strong nation, and the other nations, and who's going to be against whom and fighting whom. And, and, and the Lord is trying to get his people not to, not to trust in that, what they know, what they hear, other nations and their power of their own, but to trust in him. This is the message of the Bible. So he says, don't call conspiracy all that these people call conspiracy. Don't fear what they fear. Don't be in dread. In other words, don't worry about the rumors. Worry about me. Trust in me. So he goes on to say, verse 13, but the Lord of hosts, 
Him you shall honor as holy. Don't honor all these rumors as holy. Don't honor these other nations as holy. But honor me as holy because I am holy and I'm God. Let him, let God, be your fear and let him be your dread. That is, respect, revere him. Verse 14. And he will become two things. Look, the two things isn't in the Bible. I just added that, but there's two things coming, all right? And he will become, first word, he will become a sanctuary, second word, and a stone of offense. Become those two things. <clears throat> They're quite different, aren't they? A sanctuary, you'll get a whole different sense than a stone of offense. A sanctuary is a place where you go for safety. A sanctuary is where you go for a place of peace. A sanctuary is a place you go of acceptance. Right? So, be a sanctuary. A stone of offense is something quite different. That hurts. You become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, and they shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken up. It sounds a great deal like what Simeon is seeing here. Behold, this child is appointed of a fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. Jesus picked this up himself in Matthew, in chapter 21. He just told the parable of the tenants, you might remember, where there was a master of a vineyard and he, he established these tenants to, to take care of it for him. And when he comes back to get the produce from that, uh, he sends his servants back to get the produce from that and they, they kill his servants. And then he says, well, I'm going to send my son. Surely they'll respect him. They kill his son. Jesus is telling this to the Pharisees and so we now can see back at his point that he was making when he sent his son and they killed his son. And then they're judged and all is taken from them. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. In other words, when you come to Jesus and you reject him, it reveals. And in that revealing of in your, what's in your heart, that you don't see the Lord's Christ, and then you're broken, you stumble on it, you fall. But when you see him and you see the Lord's Christ, and he is a sanctuary to you, you're raised up with him. Hannah, a few minutes ago, read from First Peter in chapter 2. Same passage. Verse 6. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and... A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. This Jesus, you see, he reveals what's in our heart about ourselves and thus also what's in our heart 
about God. And, and you might say, well, does everything really depend on Jesus and how we react to him? Can't we soften this a bit? Can't we, can't we just say that maybe Jesus was a really good moral teacher and, and, and he's one among many and, and how we respond to him uh, gives some indication about, about who we are, how we understand God, how we understand ourselves. And, and aren't there perhaps uh, other tests that can reveal what's really in our hearts about God, not just this Jesus. And of course, we respond to that by saying, yes, of course, Jesus was a great moral teaching teacher. Although, you know, when you read his teaching, uh, moral teaching, you find that it's quite a lot like what was already presented throughout all the old covenants. It can be summed up in to love God and to love your neighbor. Now, he gives us some ins and outs about that. We might not have thought about exactly, or, but, but, but still, everything can revolve around what was already be revealed. What's unique about Jesus isn't what he taught about how to live so much as what he taught about himself and who he was and the authority that he had. You see, that's the uniqueness of, 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 of Jesus. A number of years ago, one of our kids was at an assignment in a class at school and the assignment was compare and contrast Christianity and Islam. Don't make any value judgments. One is not better than the other, which is a value judgment. But fortunately, this particular child came home and said to me, Dad, no one compares to Jesus. Not simply no one compares to the teaching of Jesus, but no one compares to the person of Jesus. That was always, you see, his point. As you know, you've suffered with me, I hope in a good way, through a constant recitation of the I am statements of Jesus. Decades ago, they gripped me. And they still grip me. And I ask the question, how can anyone say I'm the bread of life and be taken seriously? How can anyone say I'm the light of the world? How can, how can anyone say I'm the door? How can anyone say I'm the good shepherd? How can anyone say I am the resurrection and the life? How how, how can anyone say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father except through me. How can anyone say, I'm the true vine? I mean, mean, really, that's the real point of it. That's that's what makes Jesus at least have to be put over here different than anybody else. And then you have to evaluate, can can that really be true? And then we see him and we see his life and death and resurrection and say, yes, that's 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 really him. You know, the amazing thing, too, when people in Jesus' day were marveled at the fact that he, he said he forgave sins. You, you remember on at least one occasion, there's many occasions, a few at least, that uh, Jesus said your sins are forgiven. You remember the, the man who was, who was a paralytic and, and his friends brought him to Jesus. There was no way to get into the house, so they opened a, a, a hole in the roof and, and let him down. And when he, they laid him down before Jesus, Jesus said, they saw their faith, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And I always think, if I'm those guys, I'm going, I appreciate that, but we want them to walk. You know, that's why we did all this. But, but, the, the, but the religious leaders heard what Jesus said, and they, they were ready to kill him. 
Because as he blasphemes, no one can forgive sins but God. Now, I can forgive the sins that you've committed against me. You can forgive the sins that I've committed against you. We should. But I can't forgive the sins that you committed against someone else. Not my prerogative. It's God's. And they got it. Now, Jesus eventually got him up and going. Remember, you had that great line, which is more difficult to say your sins are forgiven or to say, pick up your mat and walk. I read that and every time I go, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you say, Jesus. It's both impossible for me. But not for him. He forgave sins. How do you deal with a man like that? How do you deal with this this person, Jesus said, if you honor me, you honor God. He said, if you see me, you see God. He said, believe in God, believe in me. If you know me, you know God. The miracles he did, and then, of course, that thing, the resurrection, he rose from the dead. And, and then the important thing about Jesus, of course, is what he claimed to do and what he did. It isn't just simply all of these claims, it's what he actually did. He came to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. A dear friend of mine who teaches in one of the seminaries, uh, when we talk about preaching, he, he often says, remember when people come to hear a sermon, all they want to know, all they're asking is, they're saying, Bill, tell me what to do. And this friend always looks at me and says, don't you dare. Tell them what Jesus has done. That's the point of it. And that's the point of it, isn't it? Who else can do what Jesus did except Jesus? But what Jesus did is exactly what we need done. So that's why we're lost without him. That's why everything revolves around him. When people argue with me about Christianity, I go through all the pieces that I need to and so forth and so on. But I'm always thinking, how do I get to Jesus? Because he's the point. He's the real point of it. So if you're not a Christian or you know people aren't Christians, then, then deal with them about Jesus. All these other things. It's, it's Jesus that reveals the heart, how they respond to him. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And then he went to the cross. When he went to the cross afterwards, he told his disciples, he said, everything in this cross work of mine has been in the scripture. And all the scripture is about me. So in Luke chapter 24, it says he, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and thus said to him, thus it's written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and the repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name uh, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and so they they would, you see. You remember that when they had first opportunity on that day of Pentecost, that they spoke of this of this one Jesus in Acts chapter two, and everyone was cut to the heart by what Peter had said about Jesus, about his death and resurrection, and they said, "What should we do?" And Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And later, in a similar way, after they had healed a man and, and the question was, how did you do this? In what, whose name? And they said, in the name of Jesus. They said, how could, how could that be? And they said, well, 
Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved now. God will help us in the number of weeks to come. What we want to do is look at how people encounter Jesus and what it revealed. But before we get there, let me ask you this. What does encountering Jesus reveal about you? You encountered him. What does it reveal about you? Well, should reveal about you that which you understand to be true about yourself. In light of Jesus, do you see yourself as a sinner in need of a savior? Because that's why he's come and that's who he is. Sneak peek. Sneak peek. Remember Peter. Sees Jesus one day. Jesus does a miraculous thing. Peter looks at Jesus, sees himself, and he says, get away from me, I'm a sinner. He saw himself in light of Jesus. But then also, do you see this? Do you see the love of God? Do you see the forgiver of sins? Sneak peek. There was a woman who was at a party thrown by a Pharisee named Simon. Simon didn't see Jesus, really, nor himself. But this woman did, and she wept. And Jesus said, oh, the reason she's responding the way she's responding is because she knows her sins are forgiven. That's how we're to see him, you see, as the one who's holy and we're not, but as the one who's the Savior, as the one who saves and forgives. Every human being's heart is revealed by how they encounter, respond to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us that each of us has responded in a way that reveals your grace in us. That we see him as our consolation, our comfort, our savior. For those confused, for those struggling, for those doubting, for those wondering, I pray. That you would work in their hearts in such a way. That they'd be able to see Jesus as he is. The word became flesh to dwell among us. The one to reveal God, the one who is God with us. The one who took the sins of sinners upon himself. The one who died the sinner's death, taking upon himself the wrath of God so that all who would believe in him could live and rose to prove it. And by the Spirit, 
could be announced that he really is the Son of God. Oh, I pray that we all see him rightly and that our hearts are revealed to believe. Grant us grace. In Jesus' name.